And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. We welcome you to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Today, four facts about the gospel and six facts about the Lord Jesus Christ in the very first verses of Romans chapter 1. And now with his message for today, Pastor Robert Elliott. Verse 1, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Of course, that Paul understood this, that he was set apart to bring the gospel to Gentiles, really was very helpful to him because he didn't have an easy life. He wasn't whisked from conversion to heaven on a bed of roses. He had many sufferings and trials and setbacks and abuses in the service of the Savior. But because he knew he was called, set apart to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, in Philippians from a jail cell, he could write, this one thing I do, it wasn't these many things I dabble in. He said, but this one thing I do, do you have a one thing that you do? A one thing you know that you have been saved to do. Do you have a sharp focus in how you live your life? Do you have a focus that overarches all your other foci? Jim Elliott, the martyred missionary in Ecuador, his wife Elizabeth was promoted to glory not too long ago. He said in his journal, in a prayer to God, Jim Elliott wrote, make me to be a crisis man a fork in the road that anyone that meets me has to make a choice about Jesus Christ. Is that your focus? I want to be a crisis man because the gospel is the focus of the book of Romans. The gospel is the screaming priority that the gospel is a screaming laser focus purpose according to the epistle to the Romans. It's the top priority that we ought to have. So it should be reflected in our to-do lists, in our smartphones, in the words that we speak in the average day. It ought to be reflected in our parenting. It ought to be reflective in our mentoring relationships with other people. It ought to be reflected in our evaluations of people who we meet. The gospel should be our focus, our pinpoint focus in our last wills and our testaments. Focus. The gospel deservingly is the focus of everything in our lives. The gospel should be the top priority, the screaming priority of how we use our time and our energy and our opportunities and our money and our prayer times and our networks with various people and our travels and our mentoring of other people like our kids still at home, our education, our suffering, our illnesses. The gospel should be revealed to be the focus and the priority in all these areas of our lives. Verses 1 to 6 now. Paul a bondservant of Christ Jesus called as an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, 
through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are called the called of Jesus Christ. And I'll stop at the semicolon. Now we're going to be told four things about the gospel in verses 1 to 6. Ready? Number one, the gospel fact one, the gospel literally means the good news. That's verse one. Gospel fact number two, the gospel was predicted in the Old Testament scriptures. Verse two says that. Scriptures like Isaiah 53 that describe crucifixion, which the Phoenicians didn't even invent crucifixion until seven centuries after the prophet Isaiah. Or Psalm 22. Or I could cite many other Old Testament passages that predicted the gospel. Gospel fact three, the gospel centers on God's son. Look at verse three. According to his son. Now I want to give you some things under his son that the text gives us. The gospel is centered on God's son. Now let's consider God's son based on what is written in these verses. Six things. Six details about God's son, Jesus. Number one, Christ's deity. He is God. Sorry, Jehovah's Witnesses. Jesus is God. Very God. I see that in verses 1 through 3a. Second reality about Jesus. Oh, by the way, before I go to the second reality about Jesus, when it says son of God, in the Hebrew mind, son of meant just like. So when Jesus accepted people calling him the son of God, the Pharisees picked up rocks to kill him because they saw it as blasphemy. But the problem was he was God. He wasn't blaspheming. Son of God means just like God. Now, the second fact about this wonderful son of God in the text is that Jesus was Jewish in his humanity. He was a descendant of King David. Verse 3, according to his son who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, humanity, according to the flesh, Christ's Jewish humanity. Third fact about Christ, Christ's vindication, Christ Jesus was proven to be who he said that he was by being raised bodily, literally, from the dead. Verse 4, who was declared the Son of God with power by resurrection from the dead. The fifth fact about Jesus in these verses is Christ's grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. God's unmerited favor to rebels like me and you. Sixth fact about this wonderful son of God is that he deployed Paul. He sent him to the Gentiles. And so we understand the great commission is to us. After the ascension, it's to us. Jesus' last words before ascension should be given first priority by his church. You know what he said. Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, Matthew 28, 19 and 20. You know, somebody pointed out to me that that's proof that the original apostles were afraid to fly in an airplane. And lo, I am with you always. I don't think that's what it means. 
Now, moving along to our fourth gospel fact, will you remember the first fact, the gospel is good news. The second fact, the gospel was predicted by the Old Testament. The third thing, the gospel centers on God's son, and then we unpacked what it means for God to have a son named Jesus. And last gospel fact in the text, the gospel impacts people at the levels of earthly status, relationship status, and spiritual status. Listen, the whole passage, 1-1. Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through the prophets in the Holy Scriptures, according to his son, who was born of a descendant of David, according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. To all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel impacts the person who believes on Jesus at the level of earthly status, the level of relationship status, and the level of spiritual status. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning. This is Pastor Nicholas. Today we want to continue to talk about authority and talk about the boss. And we want to look at a different part of the scripture and a different idol in our lives. But before we look at that, I want us to go back to the passage that we are looking at as the as the whole premise of what we're going to be talking about. And we look at Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 to 3, and it says this. Then God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the place of slavery. Do not have other gods besides me. And as we've been looking at the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about how We've allowed different idols to come in our lives. How we've allowed different things to take the place of capital G, God. And today we want to look at a a God in our lives that, that if we're honest with ourselves, we a lot of times struggle with. If I had to ask you, what was one thing that you would like to have right now? Notice I said one thing you would wish for, not the thing that you need. Something that you would really want, what would it be? Would it be a new Samsung phone? Would it be a new iPhone? Would it be a new car? Would it be a new house? Would it be so many things we could talk about? You see, I think we have allowed things to take the place of God. We've allowed the things, and God recognized that this was going to be a problem for us. God recognized that, you know what, we, we are going to struggle with this, not just, you know, in the Bible time, but we're going to struggle about it even more now. And I think that when we consider things in our lives and we consider the idols that we have, you know, only thing we have to ask ourselves is what do we spend the most time doing? Do we spend the most time trying to, you know, look for things that for God or are we looking for things for ourselves? And in the Bible, in Luke chapter 12, verse 13, this is the parable of the rich fool, and it says that someone from the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
Friend, he said, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? He then told him, watch out and be on guard against all greed because one's life is not in the abundance of his possessions. Again, as we consider this, Jesus is making it very clear. Look, greed is a problem. Greed is something that we're going to struggle with. You know, when we all consider, and even for people who may not have, you know, the most money, we all still struggle with greed. We all still struggle with wanting more stuff. And we want to look at how can we defeat the God of stuff by letting go of our things. You see, when we, again, if we consider the things that we spend the most time doing, whether it be on our phones or computers or iPad, whatever it may be, our cars, we see that this is the idol. This has become the God of our lives. Am I saying that we're not supposed to take care of these things? No, because God has allowed us to have them. But we need to make sure that we do not allow that to just become everything that we're about. And verse 16 of, of Luke chapter 12, this is what, is what Jesus is saying. Then he told him a parable. A rich man's land was very productive. He thought to himself, what should I do since I don't have anywhere to store my crops? I will do this, he said. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and store all, our grain, all my grains and my goods there. Then I'll say to myself, you're stored, you have many goods stored up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and enjoy yourself. Again, as we consider this, I look at how we, and, and even myself, we become hoarders of things. We become people that are all about, you know, the things that, that we have. We become people that are all about our stuff. That we don't want to give away things because, you know, we feel like, I'm going to eventually use that. You know, I know for me, it's hard for me sometimes to give away things. It's hard because I think sometimes I've allowed myself to just cherish these things and, and think that I'm going to use it. But we allow things to consume us. We allow stuff. We want to just store up treasures when we see people in need, people that need help. And here it is, the rich man is all about, you know what? I'm just going to build a bigger barn. I'm going to keep everything for myself. I see people in need. I'm going to do whatever I can to help, you know, to help myself, nobody else. I think that this is too many times this is us. Am I saying that when we see a person on the side of the road who is asking money that we should give money to them all the time? No, I'm not. Because I know for me, I'm a person that it's very hard for me just to give you money because I feel like I worked hard for my money. And so I'm not just going to give you money because I don't know what you're going to do with it. But I might say, you know what, do you need some food? And I might spend more money getting them food because that is something that I know that everyone needs. I think that too many times, again, that we have stuff, but we're not willing to help people. We allow the stuff to consume us. We allow ourselves, the, the stuff to be the God of our lives, to be what we're all about. But here is Jesus' response in verse 20. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? That's how it is with the one who stored the treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You see, we could have everything on this earth. 
We could have all the things that we think are the greatest things possible. But the reality is, is that, you know what? It's not going to matter. It's all going to fade away. It's all going to rust. It's all going to be no good at times. We can't take the things that we store up for life. You know, we can't take it with us when we die. There's no you all behind the hearse. We need to recognize that in everything. That we need to not let the God of stuff defeat us. But we need to recognize that the God, capital G, who has given us everything is a perfect gift from above to be used for His honor and His glory. And if we allow this to be what we are about, we can see a whole different person just in ourselves, but also people around us because they'll see the love of Christ living in us. This is Pastor Nicholas and been another edition of You Talk. And now, today's personal God story. Well, good morning, listeners. I'm pleased this morning to have in the radio studio my friend Paul Worrell. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Pastor Rob. Uh, and, it's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you. It's good to have you. I know that everybody who loves and trusts Christ has a God story, and you're going to share some of your God story this morning. So where would you like to start? Probably at the beginning, um, because God works in our lives even before we know Him. Um, just a bit of history. I was born in Nassau. My parents are both Barbadians. They came to the Bahamas a long, long time ago. Uh, my father was a policeman. My mother was a seamstress. And I must say that my early years, um, I was always a good boy, a very good boy. And, to be, and quite often, the good boys are quite often the ones that don't see the need for Jesus Christ. That's true. Um, as a teenager, I think my parents would um, echo this. I didn't cause them any problems. I was really a, I was a model student, um, got great grades, um, didn't get many spankings. I went to church, sorry, I was taken to church by my parents because yes. they accompanied me all the time. So I went to various churches. Um, I was even an altar boy in one of them. Mm -hmm. um, but at that point, I was still not saved. Yes. Um, amazingly, and I look back at it, and I can say, it can only be God. I came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior when I was in university in England. Mm -hmm. um, I'd, le I'd lived a very sheltered life prior to that. Really, I'd never been out of my parents' house after 9 o'clock, um, unaccompanied. Yes. Um, and all of a sudden, I have all of this freedom. You know, people are smoking, drinking, doing all sorts of things. Um, and I must say, I was tempted to get involved in some of those things. Mm -hmm. But um, by the grace of God, I never did. Wonderful. Um, I committed um, before I left the Bahamas that when I went to university, I would find a church. Wonderful. And I would go to church because I'd been accustomed to that. Um, interestingly enough, I didn't find one, but um, I became involved in a weekly Bible study, um, a group called Christian Union. Mm -hmm. And through Christian Union, um, the scriptures were open to me, and I was actually challenged to accept Christ at one of the meetings. 
and I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior there. Praise the Lord. And I've never looked back since. Like many people, I've had times when I would say I backslid, mm -hmm. but I always knew that Jesus Christ was my Savior and He was close there. One of the greatest things that Jesus Christ did do is He provided me with a godly wife. Yes. And I cannot tell you the value of a godly wife. Yes, um, so much so. My wife, Denise, has challenged me, held me accountable, and has actually lived a life before me that has allowed me and encouraged me to grow in my walk with the Lord. Praise the Lord. And together we walk with the Lord. Mm -hmm. I have had many challenges and difficulties in life, but I've never felt apart from God. It's all, He's always been very real to me. And my commitment is to see that as many people know the love of Jesus Christ um, as I do. Um, I'm committed to serving Him. And, I can vouch for that. And I can tell you, He has never let me down. Mm -hmm. um, he's been faithful to His promises. Um, you know, in Scripture, when he says he will never leave nor forsake, mm -hmm. I can say he's never left nor forsaken me. Amen. I agree. Um, and I just have to praise him. And part of my praise is to serve him, not in secret, but in public. Yes. Thank you so much. That is certainly God glorifying story. And as you know, he's written that story. Absolutely. And uh, he's continuing to write all of our stories. Thank you so much for sharing that this morning, and I'd just like to pray. Oh, please. Our gracious and loving and faithful God, how we thank you this morning for Brother Paul Worrell's story of your preventative uh, measures in his life to protect him from that which would have been harmful. Thank you, too, for you drawing him by your Holy Spirit to the Bible and to the Christ of the Bible as Lord and Savior there at university in England. We pray, Lord, that Paul's desire would uh, be uh, brought to fruition in his life, that he would serve you well in a godly way, and that that would not be something he'd ever be ashamed of, but that he'd do that in a public scale. Lord, thank you for Paul and Denise and their two grown sons. Continue to bless them, Lord. And we would ask for those who may be listening this morning that are being drawn to the Scriptures but do not as yet know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would surrender their lives, even as Paul did many years ago, and trust Christ and only Christ to make them right with a holy God. Thank you for what you'll do, Lord, if we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time for answers to your questions. We urge you to take a moment and get a pen and paper and take down the references used so that you can do your own study later on. We here at Echoes of Calvary are always excited to receive your letters of support and your questions, which we seek to answer right away and also here on the show. You can send us your letters at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com. 
Today, Pastor Elliot draws from Carl Lanier's excellent book, Answers to Tough Questions. This book was published back in 1997. And once again, here is Pastor Robert Elliot. Ephesians 5 verse 21 gives rise to the question, does this verse command the mutual submission of husbands and wives? We hear much these days about the mutual submission of husbands and wives to each other in marriage. This means that the husband must at times place himself under the authority of his wife, acknowledging her leadership in the marriage. Is this what Paul had in mind when he wrote, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ? We must first consider the word translated be subject. The Greek word is hupotasso, meaning to rank under, to obey a high authority. The present tense indicates that you are to keep on doing this, not just occasionally, but always. The imperative mood indicates that this is a command, a direct appeal to the will. The middle voice reveals that this is something that you are to do to yourself rather than having it imposed upon you. Looking within the context of Ephesians, we discover that the command be subject is given at the beginning of a section dealing with how believers relate to those in positions of authority. Verse 21 serves as the introduction to this section, calling Christians to obedience to rightful authorities. Paul proceeds in 5:22 through chapter 6, verse 9, to give some specific examples that ought not to be reversed. Wives to husbands, children to parents, slaves to masters. The concept of mutual submission is not based on careful exegesis and brings a great deal of confusion to the role relationships of marriage. God's directions are clear. The wife is called upon to place herself under the authority and leadership of her husband. See Ephesians 5 verse 22. And the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Ephesians 5 verse 23. This does not mean that the husband should be a dictator or that the wife should be a doormat. The husband is to lead through sacrifice and love, and the wife is to submit with sincerity and respect. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.